This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. In the tapestry of human emotions, very few experiences are as universally sought after as pleasure and enjoyment. From the simple joys of savoring your favorite treat to the enduring satisfaction found in meaningful relationships and accomplishments, these emotional states hold a profound allure. What lies beneath the surface of these experiences and how do they shape our well-being? Well, today on the Psychology of segment, the psychology of seg- of uh, pleasure and enjoyment invites us to unravel the mysteries of our emotional landscape, shedding light on the pathways to contentment and fulfillment of our deepest desires. We're joined by therapist, researcher and mental health communicator Nzamu Munga, who joins us on the line. And throughout this conversation, I'd love to extend the invitation to you to be a part of it, thinking about the sources of pleasure in your life, the disconnect perhaps that you feel with the pleasure of your life, because I think so many of us experience that, right, that you're just kind of moving along. But where is the joy? Where is the pleasure? And uh, we hope to get to that and perhaps even sharing some suggestions or ideas around how to reconnect with true pleasure as opposed to some of the fleeting feelings that we may feel from dopamine hits, which are made oh so easy by modern living, right? The quick dopamine hit by getting likes on social media or getting swiped uh, on whatever dating app and rather connecting to true self and perhaps even higher self. So let's get into the conversation, 0861987000. And Samuel, it is always wonderful to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Pavel. It is indeed wonderful to speak with you. So, I mean, when we talk about enjoyment and pleasure, let's define what each of those is, if they are even different at all. My understanding is that the the differences are quite slight, mm. right? So, enjoyment has has something existential to it, right? So, it, it it suggests that there's some kind of of agency. You know, I'm playing sport, for example, and I'm finding that the, the activity of playing sport itself is enjoyable, regardless regardless of how it feels. Mm. If I'm running the comrades, for example, um, 90 kilometers, I can enjoy it despite the pain that I'm experiencing in my body. Mm. Right? So whereas pleasure is usually a sensation of, of, of something pleasant in, in the body. Oh, right? So it's more of a fleeting physiological or neurological impulse of mm-hmm. of delight and uh, and desire okay so both are important i imagine but when we're talk, talking about the overarching feeling of feeling good in our lives what then are we referring to in some 
A lot of times when we talk about feeling good, there are two things that mm-hmm. we're basically talking about. So we're talking about the same thing with the same differentiated experiences. One is, is yeah, we, we when I'm feeling really good in my body, usually, usually it's the after effect of something. The reward that I get for having gone through something, mm-hmm. usually that's, that's pleasurable. That's where the pleasure is. When I've finished my workout, when I've finished reading that book, when I've when I've finished a, a, an exercise that requires effort, I might have a chance of feeling some some pleasure at the end. So there's a cognitive delight, uh, a cognitive pleasure that I might experience having gone through some some endurance, right? right. And then there's also a physiological feeling of you know pleasant sensibilities that I might experience after the fact even though I've uh, I've gone through the endurance and also enjoyment suggests that there's also something that we pursue that relates to the meaningfulness of our applications and the meaningfulness of our lives mm. so when we are so both can be sought after mm. so the the long term enduring experience of of enjoyment which which is a word that kind of also holds in it the sense of joy mm. joy is much more lasting than temporary pleasure talk to me about intentionality of creating joy seeking joy making space for joy oh that's a wonderful question pabi we live in a world where we do accept that life is difficult mm-hmm. right and so because life is difficult we have almost accepted this particularly in in africa because the the language is always that we are miserable constantly right we we're supposed to be sad because our lives are so poor we we, we have deplorable infrastructure our uh, public infrastructure is not working our transport system is not working uh, our schools are not functioning the way they're supposed to function people are dying of diseases that are preventable right so there's are all sorts of reasons we're not supposed to be experiencing joy in our lives mm. and as a result we have the phrasing of your question is what i'm really interested in here mm. uh, we we have almost come to a place where we are accepting that we need to keep a joy out of our lives shut it out of our lives because the circumstances surrounding our environment and our society do not allow for that joy and so it is it is for us to be intentional about creating room for joy this is one of the reasons why joy the experience of joy can be so isolating just as as isolating as sorrow mm. and grief uh, because sometimes people feel a sense of shame and disconnect when they are in deep, deep joy. Because it is what isn't expected. Because it's not what is expected. Yeah. Where we have created um, an expectation of doom and gloom, and mm. so it's like there's a disconnect between what people are experiencing and what people are, are supposed to be experiencing. And so I feel shameful for example of, of of experiencing joy at a funeral but i can mm. you know joy is not necessarily the absence of 
of the absence of 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 of, of sadness, right? They can coexist. I can be deeply sad and still joyful yes. at the same time. So both of those experiences need to be given room to live within us, coexist. But because we have to face the expectation of of gloom from our society, we become very, very shameful when we experience joy amidst sorrow and suffering. Oh. Whew, I think that's so profound, Nsamu, because in many ways then we are robbing ourselves of you know, it's a really important part of the experience of life. 100%. And most of our lives have been compartmentalized. And there are certain experiences that we allow ourselves, we give ourselves the permission to accommodate. And depending on the setup of the, of the environment and the society that we live in, certain things are accommodated, other things are kept out of our experiences. Mm. You know, so joy is one of those, uh, especially in our environment. We're not almost like expected to be joyful. And so sometimes I've gone to places where people will say, but why are you smiling? Yeah. Right. Yeah. W- what's there to smile about? Yeah. Right. So the, the, there's a lot of compartmentalization that is necessary. We need to be able to compartmentalize our, our, our experiences. Otherwise, we won't survive. Because there's so much that comes up against us uh, as, in, as we live our lives, right? But when we compartmentalize to a point where we dissociate, mm. where we we do not allow certain experiences to be part of our our full human experience, then we we are we are compartmentalizing ourselves into misery. Uh, you know, we're not then experiencing life as we should, you know, with all feelings and experiences and all the different flavors of of our life's experience while we are here. You know where I see that a lot in the discussions around COVID and how many people, um, you know, look back with a real heavy heart in Samu because obviously Mm. they lost loved ones, businesses went under, you know, things were very, very difficult. And then there are one or two people who experienced the opposite, right? Mm. Who, because of the lockdowns and shutdowns, maybe became a little bit healthier, were able to spend more time with their children than their high-flying mm. CEO positions allowed them before. You know, things of that nature. And you're almost... um you know, disallowed uh, and shamed, as you keep saying, from expressing that there was joy in the midst of understanding on a global uh, level how, how much how much trauma there was. So, so that's a very interesting example of how the two can coexist. Hundred percent, right? <laughs> when you go back to COVID times, for mm-hmm. example, during the during the lockdowns, the there were varied, obviously varied experiences that, I mean, there were as many experiences as there are human beings mm. on the planet, mm. and depending on where people live, right? And the example that you've given is a fantastic one because that was so present for a lot of people. Think about somebody who was so happy that suddenly this lockdown gave them a chance to pursue other interests. Mm. 
right? So it was almost like expected when when we meet online to complain about the lockdowns. Mm. So those that found <laughs> the lockdowns, those that found the lockdowns, even on on social media, right? It was uh, you know everyone was expected expected to be complaining about the lockdowns. So those that found the lockdowns helpful, useful, and meaningful for whatever reason, they they kept that experience to themselves, yes. right? Because because coming out when there's when there's a pandemic and and saying yeah i'm loving this experience of just locking myself in and not having to deal with uh, toxics and so to use the the, the current parlance you, people almost expect that there's something not right with owning that particular experience right. Uh, yeah right. Right. The number is 0861987000. Let's talk about pleasure and enjoyment. Um, and I think in these days, uh, it's so important to be intentional about finding that space for yourself that you find joy, pleasure and enjoyment in. And what some of the ways that you do that look like. Okay, so give us a call. Let us know. 0861987000. So it's very interesting, this kind of overarching, long-term striving for goal of enjoyment. But then, you know, we have the pursuit of immediate pleasure. Uh, the drive-through, the social media, you know, the quick hookups, whatever it is. I wonder mm. what the primary psychological drivers are behind behind that, the pursuit of the, the quick fix to pleasure uh, over sustained enjoyment and fulfillment. Yeah, we have to go to Sigmund Freud for that, right? Sigmund Freud gets quite a stick when it comes to the discussions around pleasure. Yeah. Because, because he believed that pleasure and the pursuit of it is one of the primary drivers of our behaviors. Yeah. So it's one of our primary motivators of our behaviors. And he puts that on a spectrum, of course. And he, uh, Sigmund Freud says, on the one hand, uh, one of the one of the we put it on a, a kind of an equation, right? On the one on the left is the minimization of pain, mm. uh, uh, you know, and on the right is the maximization of pleasure. And he says, he says either of those is not extreme, is not very healthy. Right, so we cannot continue to live our lives minimizing pain and and maximizing pleasure. So when we when we when we invest all our time and energy in maximizing pleasure in the hedonistic way that he he, he referred to, then we are very very vulnerable to addictions and the quick fixes, you know, and and the continuing use of substances that give us temporary pleasure mm. uh, and so it says most of our behaviors are influenced by either we're trying to minimize pain or or, or, or remove pain in our experience altogether or maximize pleasure mm. you know so uh, mm. it is it is quite a, an interesting observation because a lot of times when we are aware of our pursuit for for pleasure and endless pleasure we're beginning to have a little control of that particular experience. But if if our pursuit of pleasure is only for pleasure's sake, 
then we have a problem there. Right? Then we, 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 it's very, very likely that we're into addictive ter- addiction territory uh, and we need to watch out on that. And it's the same as if, if our, our orientation is on, or just pain and, 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 and no pleasure at all. Mm, mm. Okay, so I suppose then um, the desire for, you know, as I'm calling it a quick fix, is, is also the desire to almost catch your breath if there has been so much pain. Yes, uh, and because life is painful, you know, and we don't have much of a choice around the pains of life, uh, <laughs> and pain comes to us mm. in all sorts of ways. You know, when you have a child, that child is going to be a delight for a moment and then a pain for much of the time. You have mm. to look after mm. that, that child. You have to pay the bills. You have to send the child to school and, and all of that, right? And sometimes even just the pain that life presents us, like somebody that we love is ill, somebody we love dies, we lose a job, and life throws at us a lot of pain and struggle. And in, in that moment, the desire, the strong desire, desire is to run away from that pain, and a lot of times it's, it's through this pursuit of pleasure, which comes across as some ways or some form of numbing. Yeah, right? So, okay. so I, I go to a substance you know, just to numb myself from the pain. And that substance could be legal, illegal substance. It could be, you know, a, a human, some kind of human engagement like sex or, or, you know. So there are all kinds of ways in which we can pursue temporary pleasure. And in that moment, it, it gives us a little respite and relief mm. from the struggle and the pain of life. Even like food, you know, some people go, some people eat, it, you know, to to soothe themselves. Mm. So there are so many ways in which we we can we can relate to pain by moving towards uh, temporary pleasure. You know, it's interesting all the things that you mention, uh, and in my intro, I mentioned the things that are in kind of modern modern technology, modern inventions, and those are the things that lead to this kind of quick, immediate pleasure. What are some examples of things that lead to sustained enjoyment in Samo? Sustained enjoyment, one, uh, it requires some intentionality, as you mentioned. When last week we were talking about uh, the psychology of discipline, right? Mm. So so the, the disciplines that we build, the structures that we put together that support our commitment, our commitment to a, a, a life well-lived, a commitment to to the life that we want to live will require that we that we we kind of have a good and uh, rounded understanding of the the, the human experience mm-hmm. uh, to understand that yes in life we're going to experience lots of suffering we're also going to experience alongside the suffering immense joy and we can accommodate them both so I think one of the things that we can do is is just to change the the framing around pleasure and pain mm. and enjoyment. Right? Once we we get away from the idea of no pleasure at all or pain all the time, and sometimes people who do a lot of exercise, I'm using that as a metaphor. Sometimes people talk about no pain, no gain kind of thing, sure. right? So. 
so there's there's also a tendency of glorifying pain sometimes right so we, we need to have a healthy relationship with both pain and pleasure right and and to do that we need to be very very intentional we need to be re- a reflective people and we need to slow ourselves down so that we have a healthier outlook on what our lives would look like and what we want out of life. Mm, mm, what our lives would look like and what we want out of life. And kind of, you know, I think of carbohydrates. So you have the quick release carbohydrates that give you the energy quickly. And then the, the more kind of complex carbohydrates that give that slow burn of sustainable energy. And I suppose that's what we're looking for when it comes to joy. So let's talk about it a little bit more. Perhaps after the headlines, we can talk about about aspects such as mental health and some of the ways that, you know, they're kind of enjoyment inhibitors in the way that mental health works, uh, how to overcome those, um, and the role of resilience, self-regulation, uh, and things of that nature, how we can develop these psychological skills that give us an opportunity to have sustained enjoyment. And Zamumunga is a therapist, researcher, and mental health communicator who joins us on the line and we'll continue to have this conversation after this your 130 power headlines this is power lunch with bobby Malloy on power 98.7 Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you as we talk about enjoyment, non-joyment. Eh? Remember that song? It was a couple of years ago and it really spoke to the idea of having fun, having a good time and almost uh, proclaiming over our lives that there will be a sense of enjoyment. Well, I mean, we're talking about enjoyment that is further than in the moment, right? Uh, savoring life and life's beautiful moments. Um, and we're speaking in the psychology of segment here on Power lunch with our therapist, researcher and mental health communicator Nsamo Munga, who's on the line you can call in as well on 0861987000 I think this must be um, was this a WhatsApp funnel? Yeah. Good afternoon Barbie. I always find joy in my religion. I enjoy listening to sermons and I find joy in that. I'm Christian by the way. This is Mufuma. Uh, the word, hashtag power lunch. Oh, that's very interesting in some, and many will agree. Actually, my cousin driving back from my birthday party this weekend said, oh, you know where I, I feel real, real joy when I go to church. And the minute I leave church on a Sunday, I can't wait for next Sunday. Many people do find their deep-rooted, uh, overarching joy in what their faith is. Yes, and 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 that's quite an interesting one, right? Because we're we're speaking about meaningful experiences. Remember last week we were talking about rituals. We were talking about those those anchors for uh, the supporting anchors for the life that we want. So a lot of people do find uh, rituals like the, the faith, uh, church teachings, mm-hmm. or just the well, just the the ritual itself, the process itself, you know, if, if for people that are 
that are Catholic, for example, the, it's a very elaborate ritual, you know, from the beginning of the of the service to the end. There's, there's, you know, just the dramatics and the theatrics. It's like being at a theater, right? You can you can watch it, you can participate in it, and, and some people find joy in that. Some people find joy in the songs or mm-hmm. a particular song, right? When they when they go to the service. So there's all of that, right? And and the repet the repetition that the ritual provides uh, can offer some kind of comfort, some kind of stimulation, a particular kind of stimulation for people. And that's why some people like go to church. Some people go to church every day. Some people go to church once every week. So there's something that they find in there that sustains them, right? Mm, mm. Um, yeah, I think that that's so beautiful. And, and when you talk about music, when you talk about the song, I, I know that this is very personal to you as well as a, as a, as a musician, but there's that thing that happens where you almost leave your body and you have this experience where you no longer are in the confines of the physical realm. Some call it flow. Um, and that can be such a meditative space of joy, of disconnection, of healing. I mean, how important is it uh, to find the spaces where you, you, you kind of are outside of the realms of the humdrum of life? It is very, very important. You know, going back years back to probably what some people refer to as as the founding father of of psychology mm. you know the uh, william james w- william james talked about how important these these experiences these momentary experience experiences of of pleasure of delight of elevation mm. right the, whether they are sens- sensorial or they are cognitive or they are spiritual whatever they are, physical or, or, or metaphysical, it's important for us to have those experiences every so often. And sometimes people might have one experience uh, throughout their life, and this becomes our anchor experience, something that we return to every so often. Right? It's something that continues to, to speak to us for most of our lives. And for a lot, and, and William James himself referred to that as a spiritual experience, yeah. uh, you know, or a religious experience. It is this experience where you're standing in front of a mountain, and suddenly that mountain transcends its mountainness. Mm. Right? Uh, you're standing. You you're in this orchestra. You're part of the orchestra, and suddenly the sound of this orchestra transcends itself. It just transports you into a different realm altogether mm. right you are you're at the sea and this particular experience front of the sea transports you to a particular experience that is beyond that momentary uh, place right so these these experiences of immense joy and delight and pleasure become very very important mm. especially when when <laughs> When life becomes very, very difficult, mm. we can retreat to these experiences and find nourishment 
in these experiences. And sometimes some people build <laughs> some people build rituals, some people build altars, some people build, you know, like to use the story of the of the of, of the Is, Israelites, they, they built an, an ark to remind themselves of this eternal presence of life beyond themselves. So we build structures around those experiences so that when life becomes difficult, we can return. We can go back there and find some rest. We create these little sanctuaries mm. in our lives. Mm. Sure. I love that so much. Why am I thinking of tattoos, as you say that, right? Like having a, mm. a, a marker of an anchoring event or person. I suppose that could also be that pleasure, pain, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin, right? Yes. And, yeah, the tattoo, a very interesting marker for most people. Mm. You know, they look at it and it reminds them of a particular experience, right? Uh, and, and, yeah, the pain itself, when you're getting that tattoo, we know that it will be there, it will be temporary, uh, the the motivation is for us to hold on to this critical, this momentous experience that becomes, you know, our anchor to the the meaning of our lives. Give us a call on zero eight six one nine eight seven triple zero as we continue our conversation about pleasure and enjoyment. Okay, so are there people who maybe have particular personality traits that lend themselves more to being pleasure-seeking or over-investing in activities that uh, contribute to that pleasure and enjoyment factor? Well, I'm not too sure about whether there are certain personalities that are oriented towards um, eternal pleasure-seeking behavior. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it feels like we've all met a person who's quite hedonistic, who you can't get enough, you know? Yes. So there are people who have kind of a... It's more of a behavioral choice mm. as opposed to a personality trait. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm just being a personality psychologist for a little while okay. to separate behavior from the person sure. so yes there are some people who kind of are either in 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 their development they've developed this trait of perpetual pleasure seeking mm. or uh, you know we know people who can go to any extreme for for a particular sensation, right? Mm. Like the people going hiking high on high mountains because they get this particular sensation that another person will look at and say, no, I can't take that risk at all, mm. right? Mm. So yes, there are people who have developed a sense of, yeah, of, of, of kind of a, a pleasure seeking all the time. And, that, and And like we mentioned earlier, Usually those are people that will have developed it almost like um, an addiction-prone personality. Okay. Right? So very easily they use substances or they use people 
or they use experiences mm. in, in pursuit of that joy. Mm, sure. Okay, so then that lends itself to the question around mental health. Um, and, you know, perhaps you can talk to us about like neurotransmitters and receptors and the blocks that we may have to experiencing joy. Yes. So for some people, they either due to substances or, or injuries to their bodies or to their brain or to the neural system, they, they may experience blockages to, to their sense of pleasure. So mm. they may have they may have, they may be incapacitated from experiencing sensorial pleasure. Mm-hmm. They may still they may still experience cognitive or spiritual, uh, you know, or relational pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. but the sensorial pleasure in the neuro- neurology may be blocked because of injuries, and also like I was talking about substances. Right. Yeah. Substances can cause a lot of damage to the body itself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, to a point where. And this is what what usually leads to addiction, right? So when I take a particular substance, by by the measure, there's only an amount of, of of that substance that the body can carry, right? So let's say I start on alcohol. It's a little a little bit of alcohol in the beginning, and I'm tipsy, and then the body itself begins to adapt to the amount of alcohol that the body takes, mm. and it becomes more and more alcohol that I need to get the same feeling. Mm. So now it, be, it becomes a thing of, I need more of whatever substance to get a very minimal feeling that I'm seeking. Uh, and and that, that threshold keeps moving and shifting mm. up to a point where a lot of times people then cease to begin to enjoy just the, the because the body itself generates hormones of uh, pleasure hormones yes, right yes. It, it doesn't even need any <laughs> any stimulation yes. right but but once substances come in that threshold keeps moving moving higher and higher and what the body produces it becomes too small to stimulate that pleasure. Mm. And so I need more of the substances. So I become almost like inhibited. My pleasure is inhibited by the, the substance that I've been using. Hmm. Also, emotionally, mm-hmm. there are times when through our life experiences, either a lot of times it's grief, right? Grief has this way, this thing of inhibiting the pleasure in our body. So suddenly I cease to enjoy things that brought me pleasure before. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and this is a pattern. This is a pattern in people that are experiencing a lot of grief, right? People experiencing depression, for example. Right? So the, the, the sense of pleasure and the access to the, the, the pleasure hormones is, is inhibited because of the body is responding to the grief that it is experiencing at that particular time. So at that particular time, is it wise to allow that feeling to exist and feel the feeling and let it move? Or is it wise to really push yourself to get out of that feeling? So there are times when I think at a cognitive level, at a thinking level, we can go back to what you mentioned earlier. We can 
create space for for accommodating joy mm. to start from there right so if we do create the space to accommodate that joy we might just have a chance for that joy that pleasure that enjoyment to come back to us a lot of times people might require some other intervention in the case of of substance use for example some people might require detox you know they might require rehabilitation you know and these are because because of the lure and the power of the addiction it's almost difficult to do that kind of work in isolation mm. right so those are those are the times when we we might need community interventions whether it's local intervention or we might need therapy we might need a supportive community usually i maybe in in a residential rehabilitation first to manage the the, the addiction and later on we might begin to do some psychotherapy that allows us to to welcome in our lives the, those experiences that maybe we shut down or or we didn't allow ourselves to experience either because of the substances or the experiences that we have been through yeah yeah Let's talk a little bit about grief. I know you have an upcoming workshop in Samu, um, supporting particularly men who are grieving. Tell us more about why this is an important area of focus for you. It is an important area of focus for me because I know from personal experience, you know, how grief affects all of us. Mm. Right. Like I mentioned, grief takes away our capacity to enjoy life. It takes away our capacity to to connect with meaningful experiences. It, it also takes away our capacity to be productive. You know, and and by production, I do not mean just empty production, but meaningful production where we feel like we are applying ourselves in our relationships, we are applying ourselves fully in our work, we are well engaged in meaningful work. Now, I'm very interested in how grief plays out in in men particularly, because for much of the time in our society, male grief has been misunderstood or male grief has not been given room to be experienced in its part- in its particularity mm. so we're creating this space for for men to come and meet with other men so that we can together it's uh, grief is not a disease right grief is not a pathology grief is a natural and a healthy response to our losses in our lives and such losses indicate to us they are testament to the relationships that we loved and cherished and honor, yeah. right? So it's about acknowledging that so that we can hold this grief together and, and at the same time learn in the company of each other, in community, to navigate and to shift and transform that grief so that it becomes an echo. Mm. It retains that echo of memories that we want to live our lives with. Mm. I mean, we've all experienced it in one way or another. And one of the aspects that I always find the most challenging about grief is the isolating uh, aspect of grief. And I know that through this workshop, you intend to offer support in a safe space, which is so important. Yes, because because grief is so isolating and it's very painful. And mm. sometimes 
sometimes the individualized nature of, of sorrow in our modern society is that somebody comes back to work a few days after they've lost somebody yes. or they've lost a meaningful relationship. And for, for a lot of people around you, life goes on. You know, so mm. uh, we're trying to create a space where one, that grief, that particular experience of grief is welcome. It's welcome into this particular circle and the particular expression of it. First of all, grief hides, right? Sure. So we're trying to create, we're trying to create space where gr this grief can come forward and it can be witnessed to, it can be seen. It doesn't usually happen in our workspaces. You're lucky to work on a team where when you come back from a funeral, when you come back from a particular experience of loss or grief or whatever it is, that somebody is going to speak to you and notice or even just say, I see your grief, right? Mm. I, I can see it. A lot of times that doesn't happen. And so we're being intentional about creating this space because it's grief is shy for everyone, mm. but it is even more shy with men. Because in our society, particularly in our African society, men are not kind of given the permission to cry, let's say at a funeral. Yeah. Right? We we almost expect men to just hold it together. The you know, don't cry. There's an expectation. Sometimes it's said out loud, other times it's it's just expected that you're going to be there. You're supposed to be the ones that are just sharing the jokes and and whatever. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And doing the heavy lifting. Yes, yes. And right. so, so much is on a man's shoulders. Um, and so, you know, that could be connected with, I mean, colloquially, we say when things go sideways, right? Like when it comes out sideways, where you haven't had a moment to decompress or find joy. And what's the potential that can happen then, Samo? So the potential there is that, <laughs> remember when we were talking about the psychology of grief, yeah. I used the analogy that grief is a cross-dresser. And, and depending, depending on what is going on, a lot of the times grief in men shows up as apathy or, or it shows up as, uh, as rage. Right. Mm. So, so so when we see a lot of the rage that we see in in men, there are times when I pause and uh, and I say to myself, I wonder what that brother of mine is grieving. I wonder mm. what grief that brother of mine is holding right now. Right. So it's easy for grief to sh to show itself as rage, as anger, mm. and an unexplainable anger, and it can turn inwards. And when grief turns inwards, it becomes very, very painful. It can become depression. And then it becomes a, a vicious cycle. You know, you don't show up to work or you show up to work, but you don't perform. And you eventually, eventually it might end up that you actually lose your job, right? Yeah. You lose your partner. You, you, <laughs> you lose your livelihood. You lose your life. Mm. Mm. And so it's so important to walk the healing journey gently, honestly, and with support so that on the other side, at some point, you'll be able to feel joyous once again. So if anybody's listening right now, Nzamu, and uh, thinking, mm, the sound of joy just sounds so compelling, but I actually don't even know where to start. Where can one begin to try and mine those spaces that are most relevant for one to find joy again? 
Yeah, I think one we give we need to give ourselves the permission to experience joy because we don't we don't give ourselves that permission for all sorts of reasons. Like we mentioned, sometimes it's expected that we are supposed to be uh, doom and gloom all the time. Mm. Society might tell us that we need to give ourselves the permission. Sometimes it's very very religious, right? Uh, that's another thing. So some people joy uh, or pleasure. Is, is is kind of demonized. You're not supposed to experience pleasure at all. Mm. So we need to also heal from those inhibitions, wherever they may be coming from, and give ourselves the permission to experience at once pain, pleasure, and joy. We give ourselves the permission, you know, within moderation, a reasonable experience of joy. And another time we can discuss, you know, reasonableness around these experiences because it's the, it's the extremes when they are not managed properly that can cause us a lot of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And Samamunga, therapist, researcher and mental health communicator, talking about finding pleasure and enjoyment in life. Thanks, Samu. Thank you, Pabi, and uh, have a good afternoon further. Thank you so much. Power Lunch on Power 98.7, talking about the psychology of pleasure and enjoyment. And I hope that brought a little bit of joy and pleasure into your life. As we think about the spaces where we can, you know, fill our joy cup, um, and I think it makes society so much better if each and every one of our joy cups runneth over. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.